so today, what I want us to, to think about is that this idea that God has this perspective on our lives that, that none of us have, um, that God sees things and God understands things and, uh, and levels that you and I don't get to comprehend in this side of heaven. And, and what God does is that he invites us to gaze upon him, to gaze upon his glory, to gaze upon his goodness in the midst of, of our very real lives, in the midst of the good and the bad, in the midst of the, the hard and the easy, right? That, that throughout it all, that God, who sees all things, who understands all things, he invites us not to, to have it all figured out, but to gaze upon him um, throughout this, this whole journey that we're on. And so, you know, I remember when I was in eighth grade, and I had this pre-algebra teacher. I always loved math. And, and for whatever reason, um, I, don't, I don't know why, I guess there was something right about me, not wrong about me. But um, in my eighth grade pre-algebra teacher, there, the, there were two teachers in eighth grade that taught math. And one of the teachers gave tons of homework and their tests were always harder and they were just more intense. And, and that was a teacher that I had. And the other teacher, right, is a teacher that everyone wanted, right? That, that the, the class was good, but it was just a little more laid back, not as much homework. And, and as an eighth grader, the only thing that you're thinking about is I just want to class with all my friends, right? That, that's fun, that there's no, like, there's no homework and and, and the reality is that, that that's what you want as an eighth grader. But, but my teacher, I had, I had the hard teacher. And what, what made him such an amazing teacher is that he wasn't so concerned about what we thought about him in the moment. If we thought he was the most fun-loving and the most joyful, that he was so concerned about us learning the material. And he knew that if, if, we, would just, if we would do the work, if we would pay attention in class, if, if we would stay in it with him, that we would be prepared for what was next for us. And so although there were some moments where it's like, man, we wish that we had the easier way out. We wish we had the easier teacher. At the end of the eighth grade, man, we were ready for what was next. And I, and I start there this morning because Peter is writing to a group of Christians in the first century. And I think an appropriate way of, of saying it, I believe, is that for, for many of the people that were reading this letter, that, that were recipients of this letter from the apostle Peter, many of their lives, they, they hadn't turned out the way that they had hoped. <clears throat> From the context of the letter, we know that many of them are facing many struggles, much suffering and heartache. And a lot of times we, as the readers 2,000 years later, we open up the, script, the scriptures, the scriptures and, and, and there's just this huge disconnect between their life and, and our life. But I think that that distance is, is very great at all. In fact, I think that, that there's so much overlap in what the first century Christians and what we are experiencing today. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, I'm not going to, but... But metaphorically, man, would, uh, would you say that you've been through or you're currently going through some hard stuff right now? If I were to ask you, man, think about the situation that you're in right now, just all of your life. If you, if you look back upon the, the, the 18 or the 25 or the 30 or the 50 or the 60 years of life that God has given to you, how many of you would go, man, I've, I've been through some hard stuff that I would never even wish upon my enemies? And I love what Peter does here. I mean, things got intense. That must have resonated with you. Now, Peter looks at these Christians and, and he speaks into the suffering that they're facing. He speaks into the pain. And I love the way that he kind of structures it because it's almost like a sandwich. The, 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 the way that, that Audrey read it this morning, you know, in verses one through six, it's, it's all about this, the suffering, the intensity of the suffering. And then verses seven through 11, it's, it's like the, 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 the meat of the sandwich where it's, you know, he, he talks about, hey, in the midst of all of this is what you do. And then he goes back, the, the, the verses 12 through 19, and it's all about suffering. And, and, and it's like this, this sandwich of suffering that you find yourself suffering. And I know it's not hard. And so he tells us, hey, so 
fix your eyes upon Jesus. And here's what you do in the midst of it. And then he comes back at the end and he says, but, but I know that, that in telling you to, that, that, that you're in the midst of this suffering and, and telling you what to do, I, I still just want to acknowledge, I know that it's hard. And so what I want to do is I just kind of want to walk through this section by section this morning. I want to work at the first piece on, on suffering, the first piece of bread, if you will. And so he says this in verse one, he says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, Arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And it's almost like Peter is saying, if you can just make it through the hard stuff. If you don't allow it to crush you. If you just won't quit. There is a communion to be had with Jesus that you don't get to experience should you not go through the hard stuff in life. You see, there's this, this great thing that happens in, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the, of the pain, that there's this close association that you get to have with Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53 says this about Christ. It says that he was despised, that he was rejected by mankind, the very mankind that he created. It says that Jesus was a man of suffering, a man who was familiar with pain. I go, man, how many of you this morning are familiar with suffering? Your lives have been marked with pain. And as you stay with the Lord, as you press into the Lord in the midst of your suffering, what you're discovering is that he gets it. And he gets it. You know, remember there's this phase in my life where there's this person that was just super close to me someone that I trusted, someone that I was walking with, someone that was, man, that we were just in this thing together. And then we went through this kind of season of, of separation. This person that I thought was, was gonna be in my life, that I thought was gonna be this, just this anchor, this person that was gonna walk with me in my spiritual journey. And, and, and we took two different paths. And I just remember just so many nights just feeling betrayed, feeling hurt, feeling just so deeply wounded. And I remember the Lord just kind of speaking, meeting me in that moment. Hey, Brandon, remember Judas? Remember Peter? <laughs> remember in John chapter six, where all these disciples were saying, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow you. And they came to this moment where all these people quit following me. And Jesus took me to that moment in, in his very real human life where he showed me what it felt like, where he knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows what it feels like for, for people to, to separate from me, for people to throw the towel in. He, he knows what it's like to be rejected and abandoned. It was like this eye-opening moment for me, like, oh man, Christ, you get this. I've missed this part of you. This human side, this, this side of your heart that hurt. See, there's this thing that happens. In the, in the furnace of suffering. This, this thing happens that, that the hard stuff, man, it, it breaks you. That the hard stuff breaks you and, and you quit and you throw the towel in on the Lord and you say, I'm done. God, I can't believe you would do this. I'm, I'm done. It breaks you or it binds you closer to the Lord. 
And it bids you to keep going with him, to keep going deeper, to not throw the towel in, that, that there's something about, about suffering that's this defining moment where it breaks you or it bids you to keep going deeper. The result for those that, that stay in the suffering that with all the questions and with all the fear, with all the uncertainty, that for those who are willing to stay in the furnace of the suffering with the Lord, this thing happens. This connection with Jesus, this association with Jesus. And though you not want any of the suffering, though you, choose, you would never choose the heartache, you discover this, this deepness of who Christ is. Verses three through six, he says this. He says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable adultery. They are surprised you don't join them in this reckless wild living. They heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. So Peter says some, some unfriendly words, it feels like. And what he's doing here is he's reminding these Christians of the way that they used to live and what he's doing is he's saying, hey, in, in, there was a phase in your life where, where you were going through hard stuff and instead of turning to the Lord, you know what you turned to? You turned to everything else but the Lord. Sexual immorality. You turned to drunkenness. You turned to parties. You turned to escapism. This, this word carousing, it's a, the Greek word potus and it literally just means drinking bouts or drinking parties. And I go, man, that is so crazy how, how timely this is for us. How often, man, when, when, when hard things come, what do we do? What's the easy thing to do? Man, to go sit in front of your computer or to go get alone and, and to, to get some alcohol or to, to go to a party and to not talk about anything that matters that, that so often in the midst of the hard stuff, we just wanna escape and the Lord is saying, no, that's what you do when you don't know the Lord. He invites you into a deeper way of living. He says, in the midst of the hard stuff, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't escape. He wants to meet you there. And should you choose to, to numb and separate and distance, you're gonna miss out on an association, a connection with Jesus that he longs to meet you in. An appreciation that will bind your heart to his. Like the easy stuff in life never could. First bout of suffering. It'll break us or it'll bind us and bid us to go, go deeper with the Lord. The second kind of movement in this text, verses seven through 11, he says this, the end of all things is near. Listen to those words. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And I love that first verse in verse seven. It's almost like he's saying, hey, it's almost time. The end of all things is near. It's almost time. Think about that. What's up, Jenna? Welcome back. 
It's almost time for Jesus to return. It's almost time for, for the enemy to be completely triumphed over and defeated. It's almost time for pain and tears and suffering to be gone. It's almost time. It's almost time to meet Jesus, our maker and savior and redeemer. It's almost time for death to be overturned and for eternal life to rule. It's almost time. You know, when I say that phrase, think about when you say that phrase. I say it to my kids. Hey, it's almost time to go to the pool. It's almost time to go to bed. I say it to my coworkers. It's almost time for lunch. And whenever you say it's, whenever you use those language, it's, it's always an invitation to preparation, right? When I'm talking to my kids, hey, it's almost time to go to the pool. I don't want them just to sit there and do nothing. I want them to get their swimsuits and their floaties and the sunscreen and to get ready, right? When, 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 when you say that to somebody, it's this invitation to preparation. I'm going, man, why does Peter tell us this? The end of all things is near. It's almost time. In the middle of this letter that he's writing to Christians who are experiencing great suffering and great pain, why does, he, why does he tell us that? Why does he remind us that Christ is knocking at the door? He's almost ready to return because we need to be recentered. We get so caught up in life. We forget about the, the bigger purpose of this life. We forget about the perspective Right, and when I was in eighth grade, I just wanted the easy route. I didn't want to learn. I didn't want to know pre-algebra. I didn't, I didn't care about that. But my teacher had the wisdom to know, you're going to need this. And our father has this perspective. I know you're going through pain, but the end of all things is near. And I love what he says to us. So what do we do with that? Is it supposed to evoke fear in us? Like, oh crap, I gotta clean my life up. I better quit indulging in all these sinful things that I know that I shouldn't be doing. Maybe, like maybe that's what the Lord is, is speaking this morning to your heart. I don't wanna discourage it. That's what God is saying, but I love what he, he presses into. He says, be alert and of sober mind. It's, it's like, I don't, I don't know if you experience this, but, but I can so easily just forget about like the faithfulness of God. I can so easily forget about my experiences with God, for, for so easily forget about the things that I've seen God do. It's like, man, I, I, I've slept. Like I, I sleep every night and there's something about that that almost it, like it hits a race or something in my mind. And, and, and it's like Peter's just going, no. You need to be recentered. Be alert in a sober mind. I love that he says, so that you can pray. You know, this has been a big emphasis for us as a church family in the past couple years. For us to become a praying church, a praying people. And why is it important? Because prayer is what we will be, do, what we will be doing with the Lord forever in glory. Prayer is us talking and us hearing. And you get that right now with God. And if the enemy has convinced you that prayer is anything else, man, that's, that's the pureness of what prayer is. He says, love each other deeply. 
man, what a great call. He says, love covers over a multitude of sins. And, and, and I was thinking about for those of us who are Christians, this is, this is first true for us. That because the God of the heavens loves us so much, he allowed his son to take the punishment, the consequence for the fullness of every one of our sins that we've ever committed. Christ was stretched out. Christ died for them so that you and I could be forgiven, so that the, the price could be paid, so that the penalty could be paid. So although we have sinned, man, we could be in good favor, in good standing. We could be in the righteousness of Jesus. And because God loves us, a multitude of our sins have been covered. Wow. Bailey, your sins have been covered. Amazing. And we have to receive this first. We have to receive this first. And we, we can't go through this life not receiving the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. It's the foundation of who we are called to be, who we are created to be. A forgiven, a holy, a set apart people. And you will never love people. You will never love the people in this church, the, never, the people you're sitting beside. You'll never love your family. You'll never love your friends. You'll never love your coworkers until you've received this love yourself. It's impossible. This is a, the love of the Holy Spirit, the love that flows through us, the love of God, that you have to have God's touch. I love what one commentator says. He says, where love abounds among Christians, many small offenses, and even some larger ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound and all this is to Satan's perverse delight. Love each other deeply. Man, that we as a church family, that we as a people of God would, would be marked, would be known for the way that we love deeply. He says, offer hospitality. You know, if you're able to, what he's saying here is open up your home. Invite people in, accommodate them, use this opportunity to, to serve them, to let them sit at your table, to serve them your food, to give them your drink. Bless them immensely at the cost of your own comfort and your own preference. There are a couple of people in our church family, and I remember a, a while ago, there was a husband and wife and and they found out about this, this woman who had a kid and she was expecting a, a, another and, and the opportunity just kind of went out. Hey, we, we need a place for this woman to stay and her kid. Is anyone willing to, to open up their home? And there was a, a couple from our church family that said, yeah, we'd be willing. Now think about that. What would your home be like right now? The single mom, a little toddler running around? And think about the, what that shows to people, what that says. He says, offer hospitality. He keeps going. He says, use your gift to serve others. And, and, and this is so beautiful. You know, one of the, the hardest things I believe in the spiritual Christian journey is to figure out what you've been gifted with. <laughs> I had this conversation so often. I don't know what my gift is. I don't know how God has gifted me. You know, the reality is that when you become a Christian, God gives you spiritual gifts. 
And if you come here this morning and you go, I don't, I don't know what my gift is. I wanna just invite you to pray, to ask your father, God, how have you gifted me? What have you gifted to me that you want me to use for, to serve others? And I invite you in the waiting, man, start asking, what do I have that I could use to bless others? I'll give you an example. It sounds funny, but for a long time I had a truck and it's not a spiritual gift, but man, it was used to serve others. Look at your life, man. Maybe you like to write and maybe you're good at writing. A handwritten letter to someone, man, it goes a long way to encourage them. Someone in your house church, someone in your friend group, someone in your family, or, or, or I think about one of my friends and he's single and he loves baseball and he loves Jesus and he's going, man, how do all these things fit? How can I make these things work together? And so he said, I know what I'll do. I'll coach a little league baseball team. And I go, Brilliant. Brilliant. And for us as a people of God to go, man, my, my life isn't just about my career and it's not just about my advancement that God, you've given me things and how can I use what I've been given for your glory? When we're praying, when we're loving, when we're opening up our home, when we're using our gifts as a people of God, you know what happens? It results in praise for the Lord. It brings him glory. Glory. Because it's a reflection of what will be in heaven. You see, when we choose to pray, when we choose to love, when we choose to serve, when we choose to lay down our lives for the advancement of others, it's us affirming the ways of heaven. It's us saying, yes, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. We believe. We want the things of heaven to be here on earth. So Peter is our older brother. He reminds us in the midst of suffering of this perspective. It's almost time. It's almost time. And then he finishes up with this last section on suffering because he knows it doesn't mean that the suffering goes away. Because I've told you these things, to love each other and offer, it doesn't mean all the hard things in your life just suddenly disappear. And I love that Peter just affirms the Christians. He affirms us. He says, I know that it's still knocking on the door. I know that it still hurts. And this is what he says. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the ordeal that has come upon you, the fiery ordeal, to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will the outcome be of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And so there are a few things in here I wanna clear up because there's some confusing language. But I wanna kind of really hit at the heart here for a minute about what he's doing in this third and final section. You know, you, you and I might not be enduring the same physical suffering 
that they were enduring in the first century. And I think it's easy for, for me, and maybe you do this too, but, but it's easy for me to compare our suffering to theirs. Or for me to think about, man, what, what Christians in, in places where persecution, physical persecution is happening in India, where our, our church partners are, or in, in China, or all over the world, where, where you can't gather and worship the Lord in, in, in legal manners. And I think it's so often for, for me to look at suffering in the Bible and suffering all over the world and to look at us and to go, man, we are just so weak. We need to just freaking toughen up. But I'm not so certain that's helpful. I'm not so sure that's what God is after, us comparing our suffering, like whose is greater, whose is more intense. So I'm asking, you know, what is it in our context? What are the things in our culture, the hard things that we face? Think about the division that is in some of your families. They give you a hard time because of your devotion to Jesus. And I know that this is real for some of you. That following Jesus has, has led to some real tension in your family because, because you did what Jesus was calling you to do and that ne wasn't necessarily what your family thought that you should do. And so the reality is that it's created this friction because you're obeying the Lord and you're trying to honor your family. And the reality is that it's so much easier, it'd just be easier to withdraw and, and, and to pull away from your family. But, but by you choosing to stay in that furnace, It's making it much harder on you. But you have no idea what God is developing in you, what he's gonna do those around you, your family, by you choosing to suffer well. My friend's a missionary. His parents aren't Christians and they think he is crazy. He's got this great career back here in the States and, and he left it behind to go and serve children in a different country. And his parents are like, man, you could be making money. You could be climbing the ladder. He's like, dad, that's not what I wanna do. This is some of your stories. Another way that, that maybe we face suffering, hard times in our culture is just the, the very real spiritual nature of things. And you know, I had a friend who went through a, a very intense season of spiritual warfare in his sleep. And he was telling me, you know, Brandon, every time I would, I, would, I would pray and I would read and I would press into the Lord, every single night I would have nightmares. And he said, the nights that, that I wouldn't pray and that I wouldn't seek the face the, of the Lord when I wouldn't read, there'd be no nightmares. And he said, man, it's so much easier to just quit seeking. And I'm like, wow, that's real. See that Peter's inviting us into is for us to remain loyal to Jesus and the hard stuff. Because when we do, the result is overflowing joy one day. That when you and I choose to stay in the furnace of suffering, that there's a moment of overflowing joy that will come because you are faithful, because you didn't quit. There's a joy to be had with Jesus. You know, I look at my life and the things that I want out of my life, the things that I hope God does in my life. Man, I, I wanna be an old man and, and to have been completely faithful to my wife. I want my kids to, to have grown up and to love the church and to love Jesus with all their hearts. 
I want to have been in ministry for 40 or 50 years and my heart for the church and for the kingdom to be burning brighter and hotter than ever. And I get glimpses of this. Man, I, I, I look at, at, at husbands who've been married to their wives for 50 years. I, I look at people who, who, whose parents were pastors and, and they're my age and, and they love the church and they love Jesus more than they, they, they loved him when they started. I, I look at, at people who've been in ministry and they're not bitter and they're not resentful and they, and they love the church. And I want these things. And it's like the Lord is saying, keep enduring. In the hard stuff, especially in the hard stuff, in your marriage, in raising children, as you're trying to lead a church. Every now and then I get glimpses of that future. You know, we went to fireworks on Wednesday night. My son, who's four years old, we're, we're getting there early and they're shooting off fireworks. And he looks up at the sky and he says, hey, God. And I'm like, yes. There's a joy to be had with Jesus. Should we choose to stay in the furnace of suffering? Two words that I really, want to click, really quickly want to clear up. In verses 17 and 18, you know, he uses this word judgment. He says, um, it, it, now's the time for judgment to begin. And, and this word has a, a variety of meaning. He's not exclusively talking about condemnation here. He's not talking about, you know, like being in a courtroom, you're guilty, you're punished. No, the, uh, kind of a better way of thinking about this is a, a decisive, um, you know, a, a judgment that is issued that either leads to approval or to discipline. And what he's trying to get at is that, that God has begun judging us. He's given us his word. He, he, he's, he's made it clear the things that he desires from us. And the refining fire of judgment, of, of God shedding the sin in our lives is leading to our holiness. The second word that he uses there, he says, if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, and I'm like, man, Peter, what do you mean there? And, and he's not talking about like unlikely odds. He's not saying, hey, there's a slim chance that you are saved. No, he's saying that, that with difficulty in the midst of great suffering, salvation for you is not easy and simple. And he wraps it up and he says, hey, stay committed to your creator. In the midst of this life, keep committing yourself to your creator. Keep doing good. So we're about to, to take communion. We do this every week. We take a piece of bread, we drink a cup of juice, and we do this to remember Jesus. Remember what he has done for us on the cross, that he is, his body was broken, his blood was shed, so that we are in perfect standing with God. And I want to I invite us into to, to two different kind of aspects as we, as we do this. And so I want you to, to think about the communion moment, but I also want you to think about your community this week. And so as we take communion, if you're not a follower of Jesus, number one, we're so thankful that you're here. Good for you for, for being here this morning. I have no idea the, the obstacles that it took for you just to even get through this place. I don't know the scars and the pain and the heartache, but I'm so unbelievably thankful. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that you're here with us. Hope that you'll come back. If you come here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus and you have questions or you go, man, I, yeah, maybe the Lord convicted you or showed you something or maybe you just wanna be filled with his love. There'll be some men and women at the back that respond, man, or as we take communion, please feel free to come back there and talk to us, pray with us. 
If you are a follower of Jesus during communion, I wanna invite you to be vulnerable. Now you can take communion by yourself and sometimes we just need to do that, but I wanna invite you to, to take it with the people around you, to take it with the people that you came with and, and, and to share. Man, are you going through some hard things right now? And if you are, communion is an amazing place for the body of Christ to get to be the body of Christ. And I invite you just to share that with the people you're taking communion with and to pray for each other, to pray that the strength and the comfort of God would be with you. And if you come here this morning, you're going, man, I'm, I'm actually not going through hard times. That's great. I wanna invite you into communion to pray for Christians, to pray for people in our church, to pray for people in our city, to pray for people who are all over the world who are going through hard times. Maybe this communion isn't just this moment with you, but it's this moment of you interceding for others. So that's the communion moment. And I wanna just really challenge you as we leave this week to think about your community. And I don't know who your community is, but I wanna invite you to have eyes to see, are there people around you who are going through hard times? And, and I wanna invite you to, to explore how can you use what you have to serve them? Are the people around you going through divorce? Who've lost a job, who've lost a friend, who've lost a child, lost an opportunity? And how can you serve them as a body of Christ? Let me pray for us and we'll take communion. God, thank you for these men and women and, and the giggles of children that fill this room. Thank you that, that we get to just be family. Thank you for those that are here visiting with us today that don't yet know you. God, thank you for what you're doing in their hearts and we just, we just say thank you. God, I pray that as um, we break the bread, as we drink the cup, that, that this would be a really meaningful time for us, God, that you would help us to really open up, to not hold back, um, and God, to just really let you in. God, to let others in. And Lord, would you minister to us? Would you bind our hearts to you and to each other? We are so grateful for our King. Jesus, all this is for you. In your name we pray, amen.